Happy Tuesday, y'all. Here's what's coming up on NSN Daily. With regional champs crowned in high school spring sports, we're taking a look at how many pieces of hardware each local big school collected throughout all three seasons. We're also checking in on our weekly NSN Twitter poll, where we ask you to pick the Wolfpack's best coach of 22 and 23. Very thankful to the mentors that I've had. And a former Nevada standout on the defensive line, now in the coaching ranks. Corey Rush stops by the studio to catch up. Plus, we're digging into Chris Murray's mailbag, answering all your pressing questions, including the top 10 female athletes in Wolfpack history. All that and so much more right now on NSN Daily. Hello, hi, how you doing? And welcome into our champion Chevrolet studio alongside Chris Murray. I'm Mike Stephenson and this, well, you know what it is. It is a Tuesday installment of NSN Daily. Chris, middle of May, we're already in. I cannot believe it. Yeah, zooming by and uh, high school season wraps up. Uh, Nevada Wolfpack season there last week as well. So uh, we'll still find some stuff to talk about. But certainly this is a busy week and then things will slow down <laughs> a little bit after this week. We're going to finish it really, really strong too. If you were with us over the weekend over on News 4, we had extensive coverage of your regional championship Saturday in high school baseball and softball as the spring season comes to a close this week with state tournaments going down. But of course, our Northern champs were crowned on Saturday and that led you to do something a little new in terms of yeah. looking at the season as a whole. Well, just because Bishop and got such a dominant season in the North, being able to win the football championship, boys basketball, girls basketball, and then obviously baseball this spring. So I figured, why don't we look at all of these schools and how many regional championships each one at the 5A level and the 3A level during the 2022-23 season. It's an interesting thing to look at as we do have this in graphic form because there is a whole lot of talk about the dominance down south of one Bishop Gorman, which is a, a discussion that we could expand if we need to. But you said it looking at the top of this list, Bishop Minogue, seven northern titles this year. You mentioned kind of the more uh, covered sports, if you will, football, basketball and baseball. Miners handled those. Wasn't just limited to those sports, too, as Minogue collected a few more. Reno and Galena, you see it second. But, man, the Miners have really put themselves in position to be yeah. competitive each and every year. And that doesn't even include they won a 3A championship in boys soccer. They played down a level there, and they ended up winning the state championship. So, in addition to those ones we previously mentioned, also won in girls golf, boys tennis, and boys skiing. So, I'm not sure we've ever seen this much regional hardware going to one school. But also kudos to Reno High School for picking up four championships in volleyball, girls, tennis, boys, golf, and girls swimming. And then also Galena, which has had some struggles in maybe the higher profile sports in recent years, but they won four championships, girls soccer, girls skiing, boys swimming, and girls track and field just this last weekend. So certainly Bishop Minogue is setting the standard yeah. in the north. Certainly they have some advantages being a private school, the only private school on that list that we just showed you. There are some recruiting advantages for that, but that's not to say that public schools don't recruit a little bit themselves as well. But uh, Minogue, they, they jumped up to the large class about a decade ago. They were actually at the 3A level, right. the old 3A level, um, until about 10, 15 years ago since making that jump up. Obviously their enrollment is not huge, but they've been able to build some really powerhouse programs. They've got some great coaches over there. And if you're king and a champion of the North this year in all athletics, it is certainly Bishop Minogue. 
And I feel like the Gorman down south didn't win as many regional titles. No, they didn't. So that kind of shows you, um, you know, I guess how dominant Bishop Minogue has become here in the northern region. Maybe it's just a one-year thing. We'll see. We'll track these numbers next year. And uh, I think one of the really good signs is every single large class northern Nevada school won at least one regional championship. Unfortunately, except for the school I live next to, Damani Ranch, <laughs> but they are in the state baseball playoffs. Maybe yeah. they go out and get a state championship and uh, they can crown themselves state champions because they were unable to win a regional thus far this year. We'll see if the Mustangs can shock the world at the 5A state tournament, which takes place this week at Piccoli Park there on the campus of Nevada. You mentioned though, so, uh, Minogue standing at the top with those seven titles. Reno and Galena, certainly a respectable year when you talk about, uh, I know we have video of girls soccer and volleyball. Reno girls volleyball has been pretty dominant too. So those are two programs that have uh, sustained some success for a while. Yeah, I mean, Reno's been, you know, maybe not the standard for all of the sports, but they've been very strong in all of their sports. That's a very good athletic program. Certainly, there's a lot of tradition and history with that school as well, being Reno High School in the city of Reno. So, um, you know, Reno did knock off Bishop Minogue in the volleyball championship this year. Um, that has become a great, great rivalry. Minogue actually has a couple of runner-up finishes in addition to all of those regional championships. So, um, yeah, Reno should be very proud. And definitely more top-heavy yeah. in the 5A than in the 3A. You take those top three schools of Bishop Minogue, of Reno, of Galena. You're talking about 15 of the 22 regional championships won by the top three schools. That's not what we saw at the 3A level, a little bit more parity. So that was kind of interesting to look at as well as breaking down these numbers and regional championships won this season. So Spanish Springs had a couple and uh, a couple singular championships won by the boys soccer team over at Hug, which of course competes in the 5A. And also we got to give a shout out to Reed Girls Wrestling, which yes. captured not just a regional title, but a state championship. Yeah, they came in, uh, in here and visited you. That's right. Um, um, you know, Spanish Springs, you mentioned those two championships in boys wrestling. They've been the dominant force uh, really in the north, but even in, in the state. They've had a lot of success at the state level. They also won boys cross country. And then uh, my Douglas Tigers won softball. So that kept them from going winless this year at the regional level. So a lot of success to spread around northern Nevada, but they all are chasing those Bishop Minogue Miners. We'll talk about that dominant Douglas softball team in a moment, but you've also alluded to 3A. We'll quickly cover the 3A because at the top of that list is a team that, well, technically is in California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have Truckee there. And so they won the football state championship. There's not actually a regional championship at the 3A level, but I gave them credit yeah. uh, because he basically played down to a regional semifinal, and then both those teams go straight right. into state. But since they won the state title, we'll give them the nod. They also won girls tennis, girls swimming, boys swimming. So four championships for Truckee led the 3A. You had Spring Creek as well. They swept cross-country boys and girls, and then boys track and field as well. So they won three championships. Elko won three championships as well, and boys basketball, girls track and field, and boys wrestling. So those are your top 3A teams, but very interesting that the top team in the 3A does not reside actually in the yeah. state of Nevada. And that might be a discussion for another <laughs> show. As I know there's at least a handful of people that would love to see Truckee compete in California. I think that there's some people in Truckee that would like to see that as well, but I think the logistics might be yeah. a little too much. Yeah, I mean, it is on the wrong side of the border, I guess, but you also see South Tahoe competing uh, in the 3A. Some uh, used to be in the large class division. So I think just from geographically and being able to play teams that are relatively close to your region, I think it makes sense for Truckee to play in Northern Nevada in the NIAA. But like you said, some people disagree with that. Of course, still one more weekend left in the high school sports season as state championship hardware is up for grabs starting Thursday in high school baseball and softball. We've got swimming, we've got track and field. Down south, they've even got boys volleyball. That'd be kind of fun to get that up here, wouldn't uh, it be? Yes. Let's talk about what we saw on Saturday as the Douglas Tigers softball team finished a dominant run up north, not a single loss in league play, 
If you go back to the very beginning of their season, technically they opened the season with a loss to Spanish Springs, but didn't lose to a North team after that. Dominating Reed for a 16-3 Northern Championship victory. It was Douglas and then everyone else by a wide margin. Yeah, I mean, they went 30-4 and four overall. Three of those losses, the out-of-state competition, all three of those teams have three losses or fewer. So they really didn't take any bad losses the entire year. 16-0 in league, 22 straight wins to end the season. And now they head to the state tournament as the heavy favorites because the better teams in the South didn't make the state tournament. Green Valley won last year's state championship. Shadow Ridge, who was the number one seed in the bracket. Both those teams failed to get to the state wow. or the regional championship game in Southern Nevada. So Douglas is the heavy favorite to win their first state championship since winning back-to-back -back titles 1991-1992. So it has been a good long while since the Tigers have been able to lift that state championship. And Douglas was in that final game of the year last year, coming up short and finishing as a runner-up. We talked to Coach and the girls after that win Saturday, and you could tell that is still <laughs> on their mind. A little redemption from last season as, as Chris mentioned. The state tournament arrives now. Douglas will play Palo Verde Thursday at 2.45. Reed, of course, lost that Northern title game, but the Raiders are still alive. And at the state tournament, they'll take on Centennial at 5 o'clock. They're playing that over at Hickson Park over on the campus of Nevada. Let's transition to 3A softball now. Proud Panther alum right here, if I, if I can be honest, because North Valley's, for the first time in program history, was able to capture a regional title in softball, beating a Lowry team that had handed North Valley's its only two losses of the entire season. All the Panthers did, Chris, was come back and beat the Buckaroos twice on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, that was huge, and that was their only regional championship of the year. They've had very strong programs in other sports, but they were able to get across the finish line. And now heading into the state tournament, four teams, three of those teams have combined for just one state championship in softball. North Valley's Virgin Valley, both have never won a state championship in softball. Lowry won only once in 2006. And then you have Boulder City, who's probably the favorite heading into this one. Ten state championships in softball. So we'll see if there will be a kind of upstart team that uh, is able to win the state championship at Hickson this year. If it is North Valley's, that would cap a really fantastic season in athletics for the Panthers. I mean, girls basketball, they were That's much, right. much improved. It seems like they're making a lot of gains in the right direction. We'll see if they can cap off this year with the state title. Shout out to Coach Eric McCuskey, my former chemistry teacher, <laughs> leading the Panthers to a Northern title. They'll take on that Boulder City squad to open things Thursday at 3.30, and then Lowry will face Virgin Valley before that at 1 o'clock, this tournament taking place in Mesquite. Let's transition now to some baseball, talking 5A, and again talking about a team we led the show off with, the Bishop Minogue Miners capturing the regular season and the postseason titles. They're the top seed at state. Yeah, I mean, Bishop Minogue is going to face a very difficult challenge if they do get to Bishop Gorman, but I think in their opener against Desert Oasis, they have a very good chance of winning. They did play uh, against Desert Oasis in the regular season. It was March 3rd. It was an 8-4 to victory for the Miners. So, um, you know, Bishop Gorman, a top 10 team in the country, they're certainly the major, major favorite. But the way Minogue played in that regional uh, tournament, I mean, they were lights out. They allowed only one run in four games. We'll see if they can continue that at state. It's the bleached hair that did it, I think. Uh. So you mentioned the Miners get Desert Oasis Thursday at four. That's taking place at Bacoli Park. Damani Ranch also still there. The Mustangs will face Gorman. Heck of a contest. That'll be the nightcap, 6.30 on Thursday. Really quick, about a little 3A baseball. Was able to capture a couple highlights of the South Tahoe Vikings on Saturday as they won the 3A over there at Wooster. 
South Tahoe was the top seed coming into that tournament, Chris, but had to come back through the loser's bracket. They end up beating Fallon twice to claim that title. Both teams will be in action in the 3-8 tournament. Yeah, you look at South Tahoe, this is only their second state's tournament bid in baseball. They also made it to the state semifinals in 2014. Then the other local team, Churchill County, making their seventh appearance in the state tournament since 2011, won the 2015 title. So a little bit more pedigree uh, from the, uh, the boys over in Fallon, but a couple competitive teams, and we'll see how they match up against Virgin Valley and Pahrump Valley, which are the southern uh, teams in this year's state tournament. Looking forward to seeing how that goes again. That 3A tournament will take place down south. We will have the 2As here in town. We're going to take some time to dissect those brackets tomorrow when J. Ray Doctor is in the house here on NSN Daily. Coming up next on this Tuesday installment, though, we're diving into Chris Murray's mailbag good uh, edition this week. Yeah, not a ton of questions, but we got some good ones. Okay, we like good ones. We're talking those questions next on NSN Daily. This segment sponsored by Laub and Laub. Welcome back to this Tuesday edition of NSN Daily. He's Chris Murray. I'm Mike Stephenson. We are diving into Chris Murray's mailbag. If you didn't know, every Sunday, Chris will take your questions on his Twitter account, compile them, and answer them for you on a Monday, and we'll talk about it on a Tuesday. You can see the full edition at NevadaSportsNet.com as we speak, but let's highlight a few of these questions, including a really good one from Cameron Ferdosali, KMFer80, on Twitter. In honor of Mother's Day, who are the top 10 female athletes of all time in Wolfpack history. Well, that's a, a lot of female athletes to pick from. We'll go from 10 down to one. So number 10, Allie McKnight, a McQueen High graduate, a two-time Big West track and field athlete of the year. She finished number two in the heptathlon 1995, wow. qualified for a couple of U.S. Olympic trials as well. Number nine, Nicola Adera, the seven-time All-American in track and field, a recent graduate of the university, currently training for the 2024 Paris Olympics. Number eight, Sheree Zhang. She won eight Mountain West gold medals in diving and was wow. a two-time national championship. Uh, number seven, Lisa Mackey, 19 Big West titles, both as a team swimmer and as an individual. She also won an Olympic medal for Team Australia. And number six, Dodie Post-Gan. She was the first female inducted into the first 15 classes of the Wolfpack Hall of Fame. She was actually in the inaugural class as a Reno High graduate and skier and a two-time uh, Olympian during her time. So those are our numbers 10 through 6. 10 through 6. It makes me happy that the ski team is now back yes. after all of that success. Obviously, swimming has been one of the most competitive teams on campus, not just the last decade or two, but even more than that. And yep. so I'm uh, not surprised to see that. And uh, Nicola, as probably the most recent, at least one of the most recent Wolfpack athletes. When I first saw her at number nine, I was thinking, man, that's a heck of that's a list. A you got list. Nicola at number nine, so what's uh, We'll the see if she goal? makes the Olympics and yeah. maybe uh, elevates herself up that list. But yeah, we have four swimmers or divers on the list. So we'll, we'll do our top five now. Chris Starr, the best basketball player in Wolfpack women's basketball history, scored almost 2,400 points in her career. She should probably have her number retired up there at Lawler Event Center. Number four, Katarina Hansakova Nash. She was a cross-country skier. She won three national championships at Nevada, and she qualified for five different Olympics, two in the Winter Games, three in the Summer Games, so a great all-around athlete. Number three, Krista Palmer, obviously the Douglas High graduate. She was a great uh, diver in the Mountain West and then recently won a brown, uh, bronze medal in the 2020 Olympic Games. Uh, Limin Liu, a three-time national champion and 1996 silver medalist, also a swimmer. And my number one has to be Patty Sheehan, the uh, International Golf Hall of Famer, 35 LPGA titles during her career, six uh, major championships. So yeah. it's, it's a tough list to crack. If you did crack that list, you were an elite, elite athlete. And Patty Sheehan, of course, out of Wooster High, 
high school. So cool that a, a lot of that top 10 are actually local products, yeah. not people that came to go to school. Yeah, I mean, you got Douglas High, you got Reno High, you got Wooster, you got McQueen. So there are definitely a lot of great local products that stayed local and turned into a big national star. We love to see that. That's a heck of a list. And also, who knows more Wolfpack athletics history than this guy right here? <laughs> Good one to have. All right, let's keep things moving now with Clark DF, NVPAC 89519. The transfer, transfer portal closed last week. So how does that impact Nevada basketball in the final stages of completing their 23-24 roster? There still is a scholarship Yeah, so there. for college basketball, the portal quote-unquote closed May 11th, which just means that you need to have your name in the portal by May 11th to be eligible to play for your next school next year. So um, I think that kind of solidifies Nevada's returning core players. They did lose four players to the transfer portal, um, but you can sign after that date as long as you were in the portal. So Nevada has one open wow. scholarship. They're still trying to find that position. It's probably gonna be a transfer backup big man. So the final toll on who Nevada lost is Will Baker, Darian Williams, Trey Pettigrew, and Michael Falloran. Those are the four guys who did enter the portal. So you could potentially see a player enter the portal from this point forward, but they wouldn't be eligible at their school next year. So very unlikely to happen. So kind of just sets a firm timeline of you needed to have your name in by this time. And if you don't, you're probably not playing for your new school next year. Makes sense that you set some kind of deadline. Otherwise, yes. things are pretty crazy yes. as far as the transfer portal goes. Okay, so talking now, JT Myers, JT Myers, NV99. Nevada softball was so close to the Mountain West Tournament Final. What a dramatic week in San Diego. Nevada dropping close games to the top two teams in the Mountain West Conference, Boise State, San Diego State. So will this progress continue next spring, or are they going to be losing a lot of players? Yeah, I think the progress will continue. I would be surprised if Nevada is not a top two team in the Mountain West next season. They lose only one key player from uh, this year's roster who's out of eligibility. Now, we did just talk about the transfer portal. I don't think you see quite as much of that in softball as you see in some of the other sports because, unfortunately, there's not necessarily that next level at the professional stop that you need to go to a bigger school and there's not as much NIL money in there. So, Linda Garza's program is certainly on track, and I think for it to take that next step, you're talking about truly competing for a Mountain West championship. They weren't quite there this year. I think they will be there next year. About 31 wins this year for Linda Garza's squad after just 17 a season ago. Oh, so close at the Mountain West Tournament. That was thrilling, which you saw it right here on Nevada Sportsnet. Final question out of Nick Durst. Nick Durst, 93. With the new stadium being built for Battleborn FC, oh, pretty confident. <laughs> Do you think Reno could get a major league rugby team as well. So we talked a lot about this last week, a 5,000 seat stadium, uh, probably going to be sitting there for a USL team if it is built. So could you then get a rugby team? There are only 12 teams at the professional rugby level in the United States, and they're all around gigantic, gigantic cities. The smallest city, Salt Lake, which has a metro area of about 1.25 million. So I do not think that Reno is large enough to host a major league rugby team, unfortunately, if this stadium is built, but might as well dream big. It sounds like there's some interest, at least from Nick Durst. <laughs> Rugby is a heck of a sport. We'll see how things come to fruition when you talk about a new soccer facility in the biggest little city. But you can see our full coverage of those proposed plans over at NevadaSportsNet.com. And also you can check out Murray's full Monday mailbag. Coming up next, we've got a guest in the house. Yesterday, you had a chance to talk with Corey Rush, who is a kid we always love to talk to when he played for the Wolfpack. Yeah, former Nevada football player, now an assistant coach at Idaho State. Big D1 coach, now Corey Rush in the house right after this, talking with Chris on NSN Daily.
Welcome back to NSN Daily. We're down in the Legends Bay Lounge powered by Circus Sports and we're joined with a very special guest, Corey Rush in the house, a Nevada yes, defensive tackle from 2015 to 2018 and now you're currently an assistant coach at Idaho State. Yes, sir. Uh, so thanks for stopping by. Um, let's talk about your coaching career. So after graduating from Nevada, you were a GA with the Wolfpack for a year, took a year off, then a couple years as a GA at Virginia Tech. This is mm -hmm. your first full-time assistant job at the college level. So um, what does it feel like just to be able to uh, finally accomplish that goal of being a, a full-time assistant coach at college? Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, you know, very thankful to the mentors that I've had back to Coach Norvell, Coach Castillo at Nevada, and then um, Bill Tierlink, J.C. Price, uh, Brent Pry at Virginia Tech. Been fortunate to learn from a lot of really good coaches. Um, and yeah, just thankful for the opportunity to get my own room, get back on the West Coast. Um, and, and able to recruit kids in Reno, kids in Salt Lake City, and, and give them opportunities to play football after high school. So yeah, Pocatello is where Idaho State is located. It's about an hour and a half from Salt Lake City, where you grew yeah. up about 550 miles away from Reno. So hopefully you're recruiting some local northern Nevada talent. But Absolutely. let's take it back to your time at Nevada. I guess what are the biggest learning lessons you learned with the Wolfpack that maybe prepared you for this life after playing and being a, a coach? Man, everything. Um, I think the most important part is uh, just it taught me how to work, how to get after it every single day and be consistent. Uh, you covered my career. I wasn't, you know, the most talented dude of all time, but I had to put in a day's work and, and really study and be a student of the game. Um, so everything that I've learned about uh, being a good person, working really, really hard, um, and just getting after it every day stems back to my time in Nevada. Yeah, not an overly large defensive tackle, no, but you did make the all-conference team, <laughs> so certainly you were super productive, and yeah. I know uh, you know the guys who came after you always spoke very highly of the leadership you had and kind of the example that you set. Um, so you did kind of get your career started when you went to Virginia Tech. They play in the ACC, obviously. You were under two different staffs there, so what did you learn for your couple of years in the uh, ACC? and? You know, that's big-time football that you were a part of. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway was just that football is football. You know, it, the logos will change, the, the level and amount of eyeballs on your product will change. But at the end of the day, football is football. Um, it, was, it was a great experience to see how they recruit at the, the highest level, um, see, learn a different region of the country, and just learn how to deal with different types of people um, and diversify, diversify myself in regards to that. But all the things that... that I, I use in coaching and fall back on stem from my time in Nevada um, and I'm just super indebted to this place for for the education it gave to me outside of the classroom. Yeah, you know? Idaho State plays in the FCS, part of the Big Sky under first year head coach Cody Hawkins. He's the son of former Boise State head coach Dan Hawkins, now currently at UC Davis. So it didn't sound like you knew Coach Hawkins all that much, but the yeah. fit was good um, just because of the geographic location, obviously close to your hometown, so you'll be able to help in recruiting, and then just kind of the defensive scheme that the Bengals are going to run. So how did that opportunity kind of pop up, and it seems like a, a really good fit for you as you kind of kick off your career? Absolutely, yeah. Coach Josh Runda, he's our defensive coordinator at Idaho State, was really good friends um, with one of my coworkers and, and buddies at Virginia Tech, so made the mutual connection there. Um, hit it off with him and then got a chance to speak with Coach Hopkins who is a tremendous man, uh, person, family man. Uh, he's about all the right things. Um, he uh, doesn't even let our players call him Coach Hopkins. He only goes by Cody. Okay. Uh, but just super laid back young dude uh, and it was kind of just a, a match made in heaven. I'm super thankful to be working with those guys and, and they make it fun. 
um, it, it's, it's, it's a tough job, this college football thing is, but yeah. when you're surrounded by good people who, who uh, are about the right things and value family and value their um, employees, it, it makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it being a tough job. I'm sure, sure as a player, you probably don't know everything that goes into coaching. Not even a fraction. A position yeah. group ready, I guess. <laughs> um, what is that reality of, of getting into this field and what you thought it might be kind of turned into, you know, what you expected uh, as you kind of said, oh, you know, let, let's focus on this. Let's see where we can take it as a coach. Yeah, I think the biggest difference is as a player, you got to make sure that, that you're right, you know, and that you're your mental state is good and, and you're going to show up and, and do your part to help the team be successful that, that day. And you can affect others and you can be a leader, uh, which I tried to be every single day. But uh, when you're a coach, it really has nothing to do with you. Your job is to make sure that all 15 of my guys are ready to go, one mm -hmm. through 15. And I have uh, a really mature and experienced and, and um, just committed room across the board. So they've made it really easy. But the biggest difference is you can't just show up and have this one track mindset that that I got to handle my business and get out. Yeah. You got to make sure that you're affecting everybody, whether it's the the, the scout team D lineman or, or my my best pass rusher. I got to make sure that they're all in a good headspace and, and ready to go compete each and every day. So that's been the biggest difference is trying to step outside of yourself in all things and not just, you know, it's not about me anymore. Yeah. So. Uh, your stepdad, Keith Johnson, a longtime uh, coach in the baseball ranks. He's been up at the major league level, uh, was the Salt Lake Bees coach for a long time. I think he is their most wins in uh, managerial history and yeah. recently came back and now is running the Salt Lake Bees. So I guess, is there any biggest piece of advice he's given you as you've gotten into the, this profession on how to unlock the potential of the guys he's working with? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's not so much a piece of advice that he gave me, but I was really fortunate growing up to be able to go around his day-to-day his -day life and yeah. he would always let me come to the ballpark and hang out so just from watching him from the time I was seven years old to 18 years old how he coached how he went about his business is really what I try to emulate every single day he's super big into de into de uh, development as a minor league coach really your job is to prepare them for the big leagues um, and make sure that they're ready to perform to their best capabilities when they get to that level so his job is about developing and taking a player from where he is today to where he could be um, in a couple months or, or down the line. So just seeing that day to day and realizing how important it is to develop your players and, and un unlock all of their full potential is what I've taken the most from that. Yeah. So obviously as a GA graduate assistant at your previous stops, I mean, you have a lot of different roles and you do a lot of different things, but it's a little bit different when you step into that full-time role. And th these are your position players. This yeah. is your group to run. You are in charge of a group. I guess, what's the thing you most look forward to is you fully take over a position and you know, how the line plays is going to be a reflection on yeah. you because you're leading that group as opposed to kind of being a support staff for a group. Yeah, I, and I joke all the time, but I say GAing is the best gatekeep for college football because it is significantly harder <laughs> than actually being a full-time coach. Yeah. Now, we have to deal with some, some heavier things, yep. um, but the day-to-day -day life, like you got to have a tremendous amount of respect for anybody who's a GA, especially for multiple years because it is a grind um, and it is a lot of hours and it's a lot of menial tasks and work that needs to be done and is as important as being the three technique on a team but um i have tremendous respect for all gas across the country um as a full-time coach i'm definitely excited for exactly what you just said to be able to uh give my true imprint to to players and allow them to go out and and be a representation of themselves um and of me by how they play on the field my my only ask is that they play as hard as they possibly can yeah. um are physical and really just compete. 
each and every Saturday. If they do that, I think we'll have a shot. When you reflect back on your Wolfpack career, I mean, are there some fondest memories that pop into your mind or accomplishments you guys were able to do when you were here at Nevada? Countless memories, and it's just crazy. This is my first time back since I've left. Oh, wow. Yeah, so just being back, it's just like you almost get emotional, and it's just so nostalgic. Um, also, tremendous greater appreciation for the community and for the the city of Reno just being away and going to different places. Um, it's, it's a great, great spot. But fondest memories is just being with my teammates, being at Wolfpack Park, practicing day <laughs> in and day out, getting after it, and just, you know, the camaraderie of the guys around here. It's crazy. I've already seen like three or four of my former teammates have been here for less than 24 hours. So wow. it's, it's, it's a special place and, and near and dear to my heart. Yeah, when you flew in, when you saw the plane landing, I guess what emotions were you feeling seeing those mountains again for the first time in a long time? I actually drove in. So I okay. drove from Salt Lake to Reno. Um, and it's just, first of all, it's crazy how many times I would do that drive. <laughs> As a student, Just it's a lot farther than, than I think I gave it credit for being. But just doing the drive again and, and being out in the middle of nowhere in Nevada, passing through Elko, the whole, the whole situation was just brought back so many memories and, and when I finally pulled into Reno, woke up this morning and, and went over to uh, Spanish Springs and thought of Hunter Freilich and of guy, people who I even play with, Lindsey and Ryan Anderson, yep. and, and then go to Reed and think of Corbett and see the, the picture on the wall of Kyle Roberts and Jeremy McCauley and Austin Corbett and Trey Carter-Wells and yeah. so many different guys that I played with. Like that, that whole deal has been special, just thinking about all the people. That are, that are near and dear to my heart. There's obviously been a lot of Northern Nevada kids who have gone up to Idaho State, so obviously you can't talk about individual prospects, but I guess when you think of, okay, this is a person that can play for me with the Bengals, mm -hmm. I guess, what characteristics are you looking for in, in your players? And, and you know, you need to have these if you're gonna come play for Idaho State under me. Yeah, and I think that's why I'm really excited about this area is because the, the high school football in this area is very, um, Represent, re representative of what the community is about, which is hard work, toughness, um, blue collar in, in every way. And that's the sense you get when you step into these high schools and see the kids and see the way they lift weights and the way their high school coaches talk about them. Um, they all, they, a lot of them emulate those core values that, that Reno and Northern Nevada holds so truly to their heart. So if, if you're that type of person, and obviously you gotta have some sort of um, God-given ability that, that allows you to be a Division One athlete, but if you have the core characteristics that embody our, the community north of north, Northern Nevada, you'll have tremendous success in college football, and that's why I'm here, because those are the type of kids we're trying to bring to Pocatello. Awesome. Well, he is Corey Rush, one of the best to do it on the Nevada defensive line, and uh, now having a lot of success in the coaching ranks. Thank you so much for stopping by. I appreciate you. Thank you. Okay, we will be right back on NSN Daily after this break. That was awesome. Welcome back to this Tuesday edition of NSN Daily. Mike Steffens in here alongside Chris Murray talking our NSN Poll of the Week now. Every Monday we will put it up on our Nevada Sportsnet Twitter account. We'll take in votes for 24 hours and then we'll talk about the results in this Tuesday installment of NSN Daily. So our question this week, Chris, was who was Nevada's best coach throughout the 2022-23 athletic season? Getting 45% of the vote is Nevada's softball leader, Linda Garza. Yeah, I'm actually looking at the poll results right here as well, as you guys see it on your screen. So almost 400 votes. So one of our more popular like questions. It. Coach Garza did retweet the question. Disclaimer. So maybe she had some 
fans of her own <laughs> voting in there, but certainly as we talked about, a big step forward from season one to season two. Under Coach Garza, they did have the number six seed out of nine teams in the Mountain West Tournament, so a little below the average there. So I personally probably would have made the case for Steve Alford or Jin Lee Yu, but when you inherit a program that's a pretty large yeah. rebuild, and in year two you're super, super competitive like Coach Garza's team was, she's certainly deserving of votes, and that's why I put her on the poll in the first place, and it looks like Wolfpack Nation uh, picked her as the top coach for Nevada this season. Again, worth noting, she is probably the most active Twitter <laughs> user as far as Wolfpack coaches go. Can Wilson up there a little bit too. Uh, number two, you did see Steve Alford though getting 30% of the vote. This Wolfpack team, of course, was not supposed to be where it was in terms of the Mountain West standings and uh, kind of sputtered at the end of the year, but overall it was still a really strong season. Probably would have been the Mountain West coach of the year if not for that sputtering late. Obviously the loss to Wyoming, the loss to UNLV to close out the regular season, and then they lose in the uh, quarterfinals of the Mountain West tournament, their first game in the conference tournament, and they get blown out in the NCAA tournament. So a four-game losing streak to end the season kind of did put a black mark on what was a very strong season overall. He got this program back on track. He got the fans back invested. He got Nevada back near the top of the Mountain West after last year's really, really bad season, 13 and 18 overall. So, um, you know, it was a huge year for this program to be able to reestablish itself, and it was able to do that. 22 wins overall, the first appearance in the NCAA tournament for Nevada under Steve Alford. His fifth school he's taken to the big dance. That's tied for the most ever. So certainly deserving of votes on this list, and I think you can make a very strong argument. He did the best job of any Nevada coach in 2022-2023. You mentioned just him re-energizing uh, the excitement around town, and I'm thinking back to some of the atmospheres we had during basketball season, which doesn't seem that long ago now, but it kind of was, <laughs> and uh, it was really fun inside Lawler. So, uh, of course, hoping for more of the same come this fall and winter. Jin Lee Yu, rinse, repeat. You could have her on this list every <laughs> single year. She gets 19% of the vote, but I don't think anyone would have been mad if you had her at the first. So that's who I actually voted for. Yeah. She was the only Nevada coach to win Mountain West Coach of the Year this year. It's her 11th overall Coach of the Year championship, eight in the Mountain West. She also has an NCAA Coach of the Year title in 2016. So uh, you look at the job she was able to do. She had the Mountain West um, diver of the year. She also had two make it to the NCAA championships outside of her. One became an All-American. So Coach Jin Liu is kind of like the MJ or the LeBron, where you can just give her this championship every <laughs> single year. But I think instead of doing that and getting bored with giving it to the same person every single year, sometimes you throw it to somebody else. But I think she was so outstanding this year that I, I did give her my vote. If you were to do like that top 10 female coaches list in Wolfpack history, I think yeah. she's probably right there at the top, definitely For sure. on the Mount Rushmore, if you will. And last but not least, Kathleen Takashi, 6% of the votes, but what a strong year for Nevada women's golf. Yeah, I mean, they won a number of championships uh, in the fall season. Um, they sent Victoria Gailey to the NCAA tournament. They finished 67th in the country, according to the golfstat.com uh, team rankings on the women's side. So she has certainly had a very, very strong year, probably her best at Nevada. And then I'd also throw in Sylvain Malraux, the men's tennis coach. They finished second in the Mountain West. That's the highest placement of any team at Nevada this year. The Wolfpack was shut out of Mountain West Championship. So a lot of really good candidates, but you guys picked Linda Garza. So congratulations to Coach Garza on the softball. That was a nice question this week and some nice feedback from the folks. We'll look forward to next week's Twitter question. Once again, you can see it at Nevada Sportsnet Twitter. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, we'll talk a little national sports, but mixing in some local flair because there was a Carson grad behind the plate in that Yankees-Blue Jays game, and, well, he made his presence felt as well. We'll have that and more coming up next. Welcome back to NSN Daily. You know we talk a lot about locals 
as, as athletes working their ways up to the pros. How about an umpire behind home plate? It is Clint Vondrak out of Carson High School. That might have been a low strike call yesterday in that Yankees-Blue Jays game. Aaron Boone didn't like it, and Clint said, I don't like you. You're getting out of here. <laughs> yeah, tossed him right out of the game, and uh, eventually Aaron Boone is going to eject his gum from his mouth as well. He gave it about a minute, uh, and I think Clint probably knew it was a little bit low, so he didn't actually give it back that much. He mostly took it. Aaron Boone goes after him. Then he goes after the crew chief and eventually does eject that gum. He's still on a, you know, a couple inches low. And Clint is a big guy, six foot four. That is tall for a home plate umpire. This was his 40th big league game behind the plate, his eighth this season. He's done with this conversation. And uh, that gum is soon to be done with this conversation as well. I really wonder what they teach the umpires when it comes to these interactions of course sometimes like you said you'll see the umpire give a lot more back yeah. maybe clint realized like that was a borderline call coaches uh you know the skipper's got a little bit of a of a leg to stand on here but he did toss him pretty quick so boone must have said something yeah and like. he was probably chirping earlier on i think that's usually the result and you know i've been talking about the gum a lot here here goes the gum they did a stat cast on this the 95 mile an hour throw of the big league chew is coming up here pretty soon. But I think that's the right tech. He's also pretty young. I mean, 2020 was his MLB debut. So I think when you're a little bit more veteran, you can give it back to the manager. But when you're young in the game, maybe you kind of let him have his say. Aaron Boone's like, who's this kid behind home plate? All right, now we're transitioning to Aaron Judge. Mm, getting a little look-see <laughs> in the peripherals. I feel like that doesn't happen often in an at-bat. So now there's speculation that there's something fishy going on in that Yankees dugout. Your thoughts? Uh, yeah, he looked over there repeatedly and then he hit from a home the run. first pitch <laughs> to like the sixth pitch. This was pitch, I think, number six in the at-bat, uh, three pitches after the low ball. All of the pitches were sliders. Usually you're not looking at your dugout a split second before the pitcher throws you the ball. So the Toronto broadcasters were saying that and speculating maybe there was some Stein stealing going on and he was kind of getting a heads up on what was coming his way. A lot of times you'll see him kind of peek down at the catcher to see where they're located inside or outside, but that's not down at the catcher. That's over to the dugout. He did say that he heard a lot of chirping from his teammates after the ejection, and that's why he was looking over there to say, hey, please quiet down. I'm not buying that. Not me neither. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's worth noting that Dan Schulman, Buck Martinez, the guys on this play-by-play -play call are some of the most respected baseball broadcasters in yes. the game. And so if they're pointing something out, they've seen a lot of games, there might be something there. We'll yeah. have to see what comes out of this. As again, you said Judge mentioned, uh, they were just making a lot of noise, so I wanted to look over I there. mean, if this was 10 years ago, Aaron Judge would be plunked his first at bat, first pitch. I don't think they're quite allowed to do that anymore, and I'm for that. You shouldn't be throwing a ball right, a 95 right. miles an hour at someone who could potentially hurt them. But there does need to be some kind of retribution if, in fact, he was kind of getting a little bit of a cheat on what was coming his way. To see what comes out of that. But interesting, nonetheless, to see the Carson City grad, the Carson grad Clint, out of University of Nevada as well, yes. ejecting Aaron Boone. Let's transition now, talk a little NBA three seasons. And Doc Rivers is done in Philadelphia. They made the Eastern Conference semis all three of those years, but they just lost game six and seven to the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, Doc doesn't have a great history of holding on to 3-1 or 3-2 leads. They lost a 3-2 lead here, but you are seeing a lot of quick triggers. It's championship or bust, and if you don't get me a championship in the uh, first couple of years, you got an MVP on your roster, then you're going to be gone. And it sounds like James Harden wanted him gone. So he is gone. James Harden has a player option. We'll see if he comes back to the Sixers now that Doc Rivers is on his way out. 
That'll be interesting to see. So big game tonight as the Western Conference Finals get going. It is the Lakers and it is the Denver Nuggets in a rematch of the 2020 Bubble Edition Western Conference Finals. So it's the one seed Denver and the seven seed L.A. How does this one shake out? I think it's going to come down to who plays better at center. I mean, obviously you got Nikola Jokic. I think he should have been the MVP for the third straight season this year. These teams did match up in the bubble, like you said, but the Lakers don't really have that traditional center, the Dwight Howard, the JaVale McGee. So Anthony Davis, who's a great defensive player, is going to be asked to guard him. Anthony Davis prefers to play power forward. I think whoever plays better at that center position ends up leading their team into the finals. I think it's going to be a great series. Very hard to win in Denver. The Lakers have gotten off to great 1-0 starts in their first two rounds. We'll see if they can steal game one and put themselves in the driver's seat early on like they did against Memphis and then against Golden State. That's right. 5.30 the tip-off from the Mile High City. The other series, of course, Miami and Boston in the East Final. They'll get going later on this week. Also today, before that Lakers-Nuggets game tips off, we'll really quick talk about the NBA draft lottery, which everyone is saying is the Victor Wembenyama sweepstakes. I think I messed up his name, but we see the Rockets and the Spurs and the Pistons, each with the highest chance to get that number one pick, 14%. Yeah, 19-year-old coming out of France. He's anywhere from 7'2 to 7'5. We were discussing this in the sports <laughs> Depending office. on who you listen Mostly to. Mostly listed yeah. at 7'2, but ESPN was throwing him at 7'5. He's supposed to be this generational talent. He certainly has the skill set. I'm a little worried because of that height and fertility of the the eco the frame I guess of him yeah. but he is the biggest prospect in a long long time so we'll see who gets lucky and gets victor we'll be talking about that here tomorrow in the WNBA the Las Vegas Aces dealing with a little bit of a punishment from the WNBA as coach Becky Hammond is suspended for a couple games they're also losing a first round pick it sounds like for a couple different reasons. Yeah, we don't have the full details on it, but it sounds like there were some texts and some interviews about how she was treating a player who was pregnant. So um, that is obviously a huge loss when you lose a first round draft pick and you're suspending a coach. She is the most high pro profile coach in the WNBA. So interested to see the details as those unfold, but certainly there was some wrongdoing there. We're running out of time on this show. Let's quickly talk about the Dallas Stars who took down the Kraken in Game 7 so we get Dallas in VGK in the Western Final. Yeah, Stars won the 1999 Stanley Cup. They've been back twice since in 2000-2020. Um, neither of these teams have won in the last few years, but they've been the better teams in the Western Conference. So I think it's going to be very exciting when you see the Stars who are number three in the Western Conference and scoring number one in fewest goals allowed. A very complete team against going a Golden Knights team that's coming off a huge series win against Edmonton, so that should be a great series. Game one, Friday in Las Vegas. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, we've got a little bit of NFL schedule release to talk about and maybe more. We'll see if time permits here on NSN Daily. Welcome back to NSN Daily as we finish out a Tuesday installment from our champion Chevrolet studio, talking a little NFL schedule release, which uh, if you weren't on social media when that release came out, you missed out on a lot of great content. Check out the Tennessee Titans reveal. It might have <laughs> won the day. As we look at some notable games for the San Francisco 49ers, which will open in Pittsburgh. That'll be fun. And then uh, got a Sunday night contest week five at home against the Cowboys. They'll be in Minnesota for a little Monday night action and also playing on Thanksgiving this year are the 49ers. Obviously, a lot of it uh, is expected out of Coach Shanahan's team. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a huge season for them. It's a championship or bust when you get to that point. I'm really looking to that Eagles game because they're kind of blaming the fact they didn't have a quarterback for losing the NFC Championship, so a chance to get a, a small piece of redemption and playing on Thanksgiving, always super cool. Yeah, so that December 3rd game against the 
reigning NFC champion Eagles should be an intriguing one to say the least. So a lot of things expected from San Francisco. Maybe not quite as much expected from the team down in Las Vegas. They've got a pretty fun schedule, though. Week one opening up at Denver. Then week two, they'll take on Chris Murray's Bills mm. on the road. Got a couple Sunday night games that you'll see on our sister station, NBC4. The Packers will be in town for Monday night. The Patriots are coming to Vegas. Yeah, we'll see if they can get into the playoffs. Certainly, it seems like it's Patriots Southwest uh, now with uh, them taking so many of those Patriots players. And Jimmy G gets to make his debut. Jimmy G in black and silver. How about that? He's Chris. I'm Mike. This is NSN Daily. We'll see you again tomorrow here on Nevada Sportsnet.